What is up, guys? Welcome back into the Blue Bloods. We got another big special guest on the docket for tonight. We got Texas Southern defensive backs coach Darren Garrigan with us. Coach DG, as he likes to be called. Coach at Incarnate Word, won a D2 national championship over at Texas a and Commerce, and now is at Texas Southern. Coach, I appreciate you coming on the show. No, nah, man, I appreciate you having me, man. Absolutely, Coach. Um, So the first question you look back through your career, what what was like your entry into coaching? Did you always know you wanted to be a coach or was there a certain event that happened in your, your career or something that really sparked the interest in wanting to be a coach somewhere? Uh, I, mean, I mean, it started out just, you know, being a kid, playing the game of football and just being in sports. And I think every kid that grows up, you know, thinks they're good enough to go to the league. So that was a dream originally. And uh, just kind of playing football. I went to junior college at Lackawanna College. And then I went played at West Texas A&M. Um, we won back-to-back conference championships. And I was an okay player. You know, I started and rode the bench some, started. So I've kind of been um, kind of in and out the lineup, to be honest with you. Then I thought I was still good enough. And then I ended up playing arena football for two years uh, for Tennessee Valley Vipers. And just kind of my last year, I just realized <laughs> I wasn't that good of a player. And, um, and I just gave up the dream, to be honest with you. And I never thought about coaching. I was kind of in limbo. Um, those are things I talked about with the players about it. When you get done playing, what is your passion? What are you going to do? And I just kind of stumbled on a guy, a guy named Gary Wortham, was a coach. Uh, he actually just got the head coaching job at Freedom High School back in Virginia, where I'm originally from. Um, so I kind of just stumbled on him, just kind of asked him some questions. He was like, man, just come on out and coach. And I was like, all right, cool. I mean, I know I love the game. Let's let's do it. So I just kind of went out there, kind of just went out there just dealing with the kids on like a seven-on-seven deal and wanted to interview and pretty much I kind of kick-started my whole coaching career. So, no, I didn't go into it with the plan of originally coaching like some guys do. And like I said, I thought I was a good player, but come to find out I wasn't. <laughs> uh, you, you've you had a extremely successful coaching career, to say the least. I mean, uh, the rings and the success that you have is amazing. I want to start at Texas A&M Commerce. It's a program a lot of people are kind of getting familiar with. Just moved up to FCS. Had a really good year for – their first year moving into the Southland Conference. Correct. That D2 National Championship team, though, it was one of the best teams in, in the country, one of the best teams in that program's history. What made that team so special? Um, to be honest with you, uh, that was our fourth year. It was actually the head coach's fifth year. It was uh, my fourth year there because I missed the first year when they got there. and I think they got there in 13. Um, I think what made that group special is that a lot of those players – were actually homegrown. They were high school kids. We had very little transfers at the time, and that was way before the transfer board and all that. We did have some transfers. We had an OU guy. Actually, we had two OU guys. We had a Baylor guy. So we had some transfers. But for the most part, that, those were high school Division two players. And some of those guys, one of them starting right now for the Miami Dolphins, a guy named Kato Kehu, I mean Kohu, and he's a great player. So we had a lot of guys. That ended up playing at the next level. Someone, uh, another DB, Jalen Edwards Cooper, went to CFL. So I just think what made that team special is that we had time with those kids. We groomed them, um, and they were high school guys, so they bought in. And and I think that's why we kind of pushed it over the hump a little bit that year because the, the three years before we won back-to-back-to-back, like a, a three-peat uh, conference championships, and we actually didn't win the conference championship when we won the national championship. So we lost to Midwestern. They won the conference but we won the big game that matters the most. So I think what just made that team special is that um, we had a lot of high school players and we 
and we got them going. And they were with us for a couple of years. Like our starting safeties were like redshirt freshmen, so they redshirted the year before. So it was just, you know, um, we had time with those kids. It wasn't like it is now when you got to bring in 40 new transfers every year. So You move on to Incarnate Word after that. You, you come on with Coach Morris, and, I mean, Incarnate Word explodes onto the FCS scene. I mean, let's just be honest. No one knew. It, I, I always tell people my go-to trivia question if I want to win money is where's Incarnate Word at? Right. If you're not an FCS guy, you're not going to know. Right. How was Incarnate Word? I always, I, I, I just got done talking to Coach Killo last week, and I, and I've talked to him a little bit off camera about it. But I want to ask you, how was Incarnate Word able to experience so much success so quickly? Um, you know, when we first got there in '18. I mean, it kind of reminded me of the staff we had at Commerce. We just had a whole bunch of young, hungry coaches, and they already had some pieces in place at the school. I mean, honestly, we had four guys from that 18 team that actually made it to the NFL. So they already had some pieces there. We just built some depth, and I just thought we brought in a culture offensively and defensively that it just kind of fit the players that we had, and we brought some pieces in. So. I would think every place that I've been to, uh, even starting back from East Central University in Ada, Oklahoma, um, we just kind of brought in staff that were young, hungry, and uh, eager to learn, eager to work. So, and, and, and you see when we started to turn it around and got good, they've still been doing good the whole time. They actually got better since uh, Morris left and when we left. So um, I will probably say, honestly, it's just they still have workers. I think even Clint hired a whole bunch of young guys or just guys that were just they're hungry. Um, even the DB coach he hired. I hired him when I was at Incarnate Ward. He was a QCGA when I was there. So I think they're just keeping it going now. And you're right, no one even knows it's in San Antonio. So you will win some money on that uh, trivia question. But I think just the motto is that just, we just brought everybody in that was just eager to learn and hungry. And I think we just flipped it quick, quicker than we thought, at least. What was it about Texas Southern? When you look at the program, uh, uh, you know, it, I think it's an underrated program. Like I, I, I talk on the live show all the time, and I'm, I, you told me you watch show a little bit. I always wonder, man, Texas Southern just looks like a sleeping giant in terms yeah. of location and, and and what they have behind the scenes. They have so much talent year in and year out, and being in the in the state of Texas is so so much talent in that state. What was it about Texas Southern that drew you in as a job opportunity? Um, you know, to I mean, if you just want to be honest, I didn't have a job for two months when uh, when the head man actually left Incarnate Word. Um, and they left me and the defensive coordinator and a couple other coaches go. Um, I didn't have a job for two months. I happened to know Clarence McKinney, who's, who's been at the Power Five. He was Kevin Sumlin's right-hand man, and then he actually went to Arizona with him. He was at U of H, so he's been in the game for a while. I met him in through passing and recruiting, and I kind of known him a little bit, shot him a text, and was like, hey, man, I'm out of a job. You know, you got something for me? Boom, he ended up hiring me, and we kind of flipped it on defense a lot better than what they was in the past. Um, but you are right, and I've seen you. You do a good job with HBCUs and, and, and kind of shedding light to it like Dion did when he was there. I think at the end of the day, um, our arrow is pointing up. They're going to install a new weight room that's being built as we speak. We got the new weight room. So I do think it is a sleeping giant, but I think we won five games last year. They haven't done that in a while. We should have won seven games. I think this year we have a chance to contend, um, contend for uh, the SWAC and even the West and the whole thing. Um, I think it's just having things in place. We have a great president. She she puts a lot of time and effort into it, and we're getting some more money. So, And it is in Houston. You're in Texas. I do think a lot of places in Texas are sleeping giants. San Antonio, I mean, Austin. I mean, there's a lot of places in Texas, uh, good high school football players and even transfers and universities. But um, I do think the arrow is pointing up for us because we're getting some of those things and getting some backing 
um, from some donors and alumni. So we're doing a, a 20 times better job than maybe it was in the past. And I do think the arrow's going up. It was. The defense took a big step up, especially the secondary. And and a lot of that came from a guy who had who even had All-American consideration in Isaiah Hamilton. I know he ended up transferring this offseason. We'll get into that. But yeah. what made him the leader of your secondary? And what made him so special as a player? Um, I, you know, I think when we got there, um, when I got there, I think he already had the talent. Um, I think he already had the, the tools in place. He already had the ability. He really had everything you wanted in a DB um, and, and that's when I got there, we kind of switched our philosophy on defense a little bit, and we ended up being more aggressive. I come from the tree, um, and I'm still trying to grow my own tree, but I come from the tree of just coaching very aggressive on and off the field, trying to always make a play. Sometimes you might get beat, but at the end of the day, if you make more plays than you give up, then that's a success for me. So I think I just, you know, I kind of just put them on the game of just trying to teach them um, how to make plays within whatever you're doing, and I think that helped the whole defense, And I do, and I do think – the secondary ended up playing well. We actually just lost our safeties coach, Justin Sanders. He went to Charlotte, so we had some success. Um, we're just a believer in being aggressive and and uh, just kind of switching some things up. But he was a leader for defense, but we had a lot of guys that ended up playing really well overall, and I think everybody just bought in, and I think that's where the arrow is pointing up. Uh, just um, everybody's kind of rallying behind the coaches and, you know, some of their teammates. So I know we'll probably talk about recruiting here in a little bit about just the portal, and that's crazy and everything. So. Yeah, it's just how it goes these days. And that's what I was going to ask you. You know, I'm I'm happy for for Isaiah. I've had him on the show before, man. I, I love the guy. And I really do think he's a he's a pro talent. He should play in the league one day. But it's the sad truth, and I've talked about this on the show a lot. A lot of FCS programs are seeing when guys have breakout years, yep. they get opportunities elsewhere. One, what was the behind the scenes? Did he just come to you and say, Coach, I need to, I want to explore my options? And then two. How was it for an FCS coaching staff? How do you manage that? Like when you see a guy trending upwards, you see a Cam Ward, you see an Isaiah Hamilton, and there's countless other examples I could throw out there. How do you approach it in terms of we got to keep this kid here? You know, I think about the times have changed. I think even the Power Fives have the problem these days because, I mean, they. I know Alabama and Georgia probably had some guys leaving too, and that's the best of the best. So. I just think that the climax change, I think it goes both ways, though. I mean, there's players that have a great season at the, at the G5 or the FCS level, and they just want bigger opportunities. Um, but it's the same thing goes for coaches. So I don't really knock or I don't really get mad at the players. I think it just matters on how you do it, um, and, you know, as long as you're just being honest with them. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think that's just how the profession is with the players and the kids. I mean, if you get a bigger opportunity, then – you should leave unless it's just one of those deals where it's even it's you know, stuff like that. Then you just might have to pick the best fit, but you know, I, there's no right or there's no wrong reason. I think just when guys have success and they're doing really well, um, I think they just want more, um, which is, could be a good thing. It could be a bad thing. So every situation they leave doesn't always equal success, but I think the only thing that's a troubling these days in college football and Trailer talked about it at UTSA. You know, I do, I try to follow him. I know some guys on staff, they do a great job is I think it's to the point where if the coaches are reaching out to players and they're still on their roster, I think that's where the game is getting shady and, and dirty a little bit. And that's where that's unfair to the coaches and the player when you're getting hit up by coaches and you're already still playing there. They just jump in the portal and, you know, they get some offers and cool. I mean, I understand, I respect it, but that's where the game was a little sideways a little bit, you know, um, but it is what it is. You just got to understand the landscape now. 
Uh, yeah, I, I think the the biggest story, for, at least from the FCS, was Tucker Craft tied in over at South Dakota State, got like a two to five million dollar offer. Yep. To enter the portal and turned it down, by the way, which is, uh, I props I to him and yep. yeah, whoever he talked to, that, that's crazy to me. But coach, a question I've gotten a lot this year, coming into the year, they see, you know, there's been a lot of defensive guys from Texas Southern leave recently, and Michael Badajo, who is doing great things over in the XFL and some other leagues, mm-hmm. Isaiah Hamilton transfers out. Who's next on that defense that you're seeing this off season as y'all get closer to spring? Who are some guys that we should look out for this year, especially in the defensive backfield where you coach, you know, one-on-one with them? Yeah, that's crazy. Is that, can you still see me? I'm going to kind of, can you still see me as I'm typing this stuff in? Uh, No. Because what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually uh, pull up our roster and I'm going to kind of run it down for you. Is that cool? Give me like Yeah, one cool second. with me. Because I do agree. We do got some players that really have a chance to have success. And I'm just going to, Tell you right here from the jump. I just want to be able to make sure uh, to be the beauty about it is I'm gonna go with the first one, and he's a defensive guy, and he's actually uh, our linebacker coach. Uh, one of his uh, uh, proteges, Jacob Williams, our linebacker. I think he's elite. Um, he's quick. He's fast. Probably doesn't look like a linebacker. Um, looks more like a safety, but he's really, really good. Um, I think we have a safety comeback, CJ. He's a really good football player. Um, we have uh, Ja'Cory Benjamin, who's a corner that started kind of in and out. He got hurt a little bit. I think he can be the next, I guess, I don't even want to say Isaiah, but he and he came in with Isaiah. He just was talented. Um, so I think he has a chance. Um, our quarterback got hurt at the end of the season, but um, he's going to be back, and he'll be just fine. Um, body, he's a great player. Um, so, if you want to be honest, like even on the recruiting channel, when you ask that question, we have a lot of returners. We have a whole bunch of receivers. All running backs are back. Um, another running back named Jacoy. I mean, he's a good football player. So um, to be honest with you, we didn't really lose that much. Um, and I think that's the beauty of our team. We didn't really lose that much. Um, so I think we're just going to get better, stay healthy. And I think the sky's the limit. But we have a lot of football players. I can really go through the whole roster. I think everybody has a chance to contribute, to be honest with you. One of the biggest pickups, and it came in your room, a lot of Texas Southern fans have told me, Xavier Player out of UTSA is there. I mean, they're expecting big things. I mean, they're, like you're saying, don't want to put any expectations. I mean, they're saying that he is Isaiah Hamilton level and is going to be the next guy in that room. Well, what was his recruitment like? What do you love about his game? And why, why do you think the fans are getting so hype about him stepping into the program? Well, the crazy part about it is I've been recruiting Xavier Player for about four years. When I was at Incarnate <laughs> Word, he was at Steel High School. I offered him a long time ago. I've been on that kid. He ended up going to Oklahoma State. He left Oklahoma State. One, and, and when he left Oklahoma State, I was recruiting him again at Incarnate Word. Then he goes to junior college. I think he goes to Blinn, if I'm not mistaken. And then I tried to get him out of junior college. Didn't work out. He ended up going to UTSA, San Antonio. It makes sense. Um, so then he went there. He actually had a solid career there, played pretty well. He's a good, talented player. I've always known about him. He had good size, good measurables, can run. And then when he left UTSA, I'm back again, recruiting him again for the fourth time. So I've been recruiting that kid and his family for a long time. They got a great family. Um, he's a great kid. So I think he has a chance to come in and, and, and have the same, if not better, success. I think he has two years to play. So, um, I think the fans and the people, I mean, he was like actually one of the rated the highest players like we signed all year at FCS at all, like the whole FCS. So 
he has a great mindset. He's a great kid. He loves to communicate. So um, I think he has a chance to have success. We signed a kid out of San, uh, San Jose State, safety, uh, Gino. So there's just a lot of upside, I think, coming from what it's been in the past. And like you said, it's like, man, they got some things going on over there. Let me just see, can they get over the hump? So. And you, you kind of beat me to it with the, with the player comment, too, because that was my next question is with the transfer portal, with, with JUCO recruiting, how important is it to not burn connections even if you miss on a kid the first time? Like, how important is it to stay in touch, keep those good connections, and just in case it, you have to circle back around and re-recruit somebody? You know, I, 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 that's a good question because how I view it is if you recruit a kid – and I think that's why we, you know, I had a good relationship with player, even though I didn't maybe talk to him for a couple of years as he's playing at other schools. I think it comes down to is, is how do you initially recruit him? Like an example would be like UTSA got one of the guys at Incarnate Word, L.A. Davis, and I recruited that guy for years. I think it matters on how you recruit him when you first get with them. And I think they always remember how you recruited them. So if you were like, I'm a very blunt, I'm a very direct, I'm a very in-your-face recruiter. So when player, you know, got back in the portal, when I hit him up, he already knew how I was going to approach the situation. He already knew what I was going to, you know, do or say or be. Um, so I think that's important. Um, I think it's how you initially recruit the kid, and then uh, you can end up getting that kid on the back burner. But it's, it's all about how you do it first. Like if, if you didn't really recruit him hard or you didn't really have a good relationship, then it's going to be hard for him to go to you if he wants to get in the portal. So I think it just matters about who you are as a person. I think that's what sometimes coaches go wrong. They're trying to, to recruit, but I, I try to tell people you're a person first. I just think that's, I think that's just uh, people forget that. Like I'm a human being. Like I got to pay bills. Like I watch TV. Like I work out, like I'm a normal person. So when I recruit the kids, I talk to them as a human, not as a coach, you know, as a human mm -hmm. as a person, as an individual, that's how I recruit them. And some people like it. Some people don't. But that's just how I operate. So I don't really give them the, the bells and whistles like some guys do, which I'm not a big fan of. But they do it, and it works for them, I guess. Hey, I, you, you never know. We saw it. It works out sometimes. But there's there's plenty of examples, even in your state of, you know, all the bells and whistles not working out very well with the missed right. bowl game for a very prominent program. But you know, looking at the recruiting trail in general, a lot of people don't know the inner workings of recruiting. Like if they're not in media who cover a lot of recruiting, if, if they're not a previous coach, if they haven't been recruited at the highest level, they don't know how it works. So coach, just what is it like at Texas Southern? Do the positional coaches have a lot of freedom? Because there's some programs where positional coaches have to run everything through the head guy, like you have to get a bunch of approval to recruit kids. Or does Coach McKinley kind of let you guys say, this is your room. If you like a kid, go and get them. You know, uh, Coach McCain does a great job of, of kind of having everybody chip in a little bit because, you know, if I recruit a guy and I like him and nobody else likes him, if he ends up being a good – I mean, let's just say he ends up being a bad player, that affects everybody on the staff. Um, so I come from different trees where the position coach just does it. He offers and then the defensive coordinator will do it or you don't have to go through a lot of checks and balances. I wouldn't say we have to go through – a billion checks and balances, but I think I think it's just a respect factor. Like I'm not going to go to a school, offer a receiver that our receiver coach has never seen. That'd be unfair to him. So I think it's about just communicating and dialoguing and just saying, "Hey, coach, I like this player. You know, what do you think of him?" And then we'll meet as a staff and we'll talk a little bit. So I think it's more about communication through the through the uh, through the whole staff to find out if if you think he's good enough, or you know, that's good too because. 
the other coaches can pick your brain about why you like things. Like a lot of people ask me, like, what do you like in a DB? I just tell them, like, can he move and does he have ball skills? Everything else I can figure out. Um, but that those are the kind of things I look for. So I think it's just communicating with the staff. And then if everybody likes him, or at least maybe half of them like him, but the position coach like him, he should worthy to get an offer. It just depends, really. You kind of, you know, I think you addressed two of the things in my next question because that was going to be my question because we heard today Nick Saban give his list of reasons why he didn't recruit Brock Purdy. And we've heard coaches say, if your hands aren't that big, if your arms aren't this long, we're not giving you the offer. Do you have a checklist that you're looking for? Or is it, you know, it really just depends on the player and there's a bunch of different factors that work together in like a composite type grade? Yeah, that's a great question because I got that on another uh, deal I was doing. Here's how I would say. The guys that are at the power five, they can be so picky. It's like the NFL a little bit. The NFL is like that initially, but at the end of the day, if you're a good player, you'll play. But at the power five levels, well, I guess with all the money on the line, you have to have certain requirements. You have to be this tall. Your hands got to be this big. Your feet's got to be this big. Your shoulders and arms got to be this big. They have so many uh, check boxes that they have to have probably because their pool is a billion five stars or four stars or whatever the case may be. But I've always said it. I'm more of a believer and uh, coaches do a better job or do a great job when they're working more with less. So I think at the D2, FCS, D3, JC, and sometimes even the G5 is that you're, you're, you have to find something uh, more into depth with the player rather than the power five guy. If you're not 6'3", like a corner, like example of corner, I coach DBs, like if you're Nick Saban, he's like, I'm not taking a corner or just anybody that's at the power five, I'm not taking a corner who's under six foot. I mean, by the end of the day, Revis was 5'10", 5'11", and he was damn near a Hall of Fame. He's one of the best DBs of all time in the league. So even Aaron Donald, I think Georgia or Kirby Smart, they didn't recruit Aaron Donald because he was too small, but he's one of the, he's probably the best D tackle in the league. Um, I just think you have to you have to find something different. Like I, I don't know if I have a true true checkbox, but I have if you can just simply move. Like I like how you move and you have ball skills, and and what type of person are you? Can you communicate? Can you handle me being hard on you every day? Can you handle me just having a conversation with you about life or football? So my checkboxes are probably a little bit different. I just want to know can they move? Do they got ball skills? And then probably first those are two and three. The first one's probably like. Can you communicate? Do you can you hold a conversation? You know, there's like little things like that. I think that are more important at this level of ball because you have to do so much more with maybe like a like, uh, that. May, he might not have the measurables, but he's still a good player. Like I said, the guy that's playing for the Dolphins, he's five foot eight, maybe five foot nine, but he's short, stocky, can run. He's but no power fives on him, no FCS was on him. So I don't have as detailed of the check boxes all the other coaches because they have everything handed to them, and some of them don't even recruit. They just give them a list and say, here's your, here's your 20 guys, go recruit them. We, we got to go find them, talk to them, recruit them. We actually have to work with them hand in hand. We got to do more with it than they do. Right. And, you know, I talked to a former Indy Community College head coach, Jason Brown, on the show, too, from Last Chance U, and we, t- we kind of talked about scouting and how, man, scouting has become such a – you know, debated topic in terms of player rankings. Yep. And I, I get questions on the show all the time. You have no idea. How did Cameron Ward have zero stars coming out of high school? How did this player have two stars coming out of high school? And we see the NFC championship rosters. ESPN does it every year. Yep. Look at all the three, two, no stars that are playing in the potential Super Bowl. 
What do you think is the issue with scouting? Is it just there's not enough scouts for how many players? Is it late development? Like, what's your take on it as a coach? It's because everybody's looking for the perfect player. That's the problem. And and I think that's what somewhat bothers me. And Bill Belichick talks about it. like, And, and I know they struggled the last two years of that time, Brady, blah, blah, blah. But if you look at some of the players that have success with him on defense, especially, like, he always talks about what the player can do for him not what they can't do. So I think a lot of times if all these coaches are looking for the perfect player, he's got to be this size, he's got to weigh this much. His hand, like I said, his hand's got to be this big. Like, they're looking for the perfect person. You know, I'm not looking for the perfect person. Everywhere I've been, we've had to scrape. We got to get, we got to get down and dirty. We got to find something that uh, maybe all the 20 million schools missed. Um, So I just think, uh, it's so tough, man. I just think it's a great question. I, I just think that, yeah, how, do, how would I explain it? You just have to find a way that you have to find something that no one else likes. Like, okay, the guy's five foot nine. 20 other schools don't like it, but I'll, I'll deal with the five nine because he got long arms. Or, you know, he's five nine, but he has a long stride, which means he can still run. So it's, man, it's it's really difficult, but I do think, just everybody wants the perfect player, and I think it's unfair. Every coach just wants the ideal situation. That's impossible unless you're at the best school ever. But if you look at the league, and you made a point on it, like if you look at the league, the league cares about that initially. Like they want all the pretty stuff at first. But then when it gets to the nitty-gritty, guys get hurt, guys get opportunities, then they don't care. Like you're talking about the quarterback, the 49ers, it's the same deal. Like nobody wanted him. I did see the same thing on Twitter. Nick Saban said he was terrible. But he's starting quarterback in the league, good system, good coaching. He's taking it. So I just think there's so much more than just this is a 6'5 guy. You need to go get him. There's just so much more to coaching and evaluating than people like to discuss because it's so easy to say he can't do this, he can't do that. It's so easy to say that. From your experience, because I, I get – Listen, you have no idea the calls and the comments I get about politics behind the scenes. Oh, in your opinion, how much do politics really play a part in who's getting the pub, who's getting the stars, and who's getting the the push on the recruiting trail? I think the pubs are very true. I think the politics are very true. Same thing goes for coaching. There's always inner workings of it. i give you a prime example. I'm really close, and you probably hear this name before, to Textada family, uh, Tejada family, uh, at a starting corner at TCU. Another one was at Baylor. The other one right now is at North Texas. All three of them are Division One corners. And a lot of those, on all three of them, didn't get highly recruited. They're all short, quote-unquote, undersized. But they all have made all-conference. All three of his sons, I'm really close to the family. All three of the sons made all-conference. All three are going to – two of them made it to the league. The last, the North Texas guy, is going to make it to the league. And, and they were part of that tree that just were never on that good side of people. And I think the same thing goes for coaches and it goes for players. Like, like you get this stigma early on and then they just ride the wave. Like if you get one offer early, then everybody's like, oh, he's amazing. He's great. Let's offer him again. And then he gets 20 million offers. So I do think the politics, I do think how people are getting pushed. But at the end of the day, everybody kind of sees through it. Like there's been some guys that I did not take at my Division two level. My incarnate word at Texas Southern, those guys that I didn't take that ended up going bigger than me just because I didn't see something that they saw. And sometimes they had good careers. Sometimes they didn't. So 
it's just a, there's there's a wave that people do get on and they do get on the good side. It's the same thing going with coaches. Like I was actually talking about it with a coach today with somebody that I ran into. Like, how does a coach one year go from being the, the hottest coach in the market, a genius, great with relationships and great with people, then all of a sudden the next year he's the worst and gets fired? How did he drop off so much? Like, did he just all of a sudden forgot how to coach football? All of a sudden he's no longer building relationships. So I'm a little torn when that just all of a sudden you're the best candidate to so then all of a sudden the next year you're the worst candidate. So that's the same thing about going on the waves and you just riding it and you getting a good, good name. So it's a very difficult profession. It's a very politic-driven profession. And some of those things do matter even though it shouldn't. Right. I, I hate to say because, I mean, with me, you know, at, at one time I was working at all in three. I was still working there, but, like, I was mostly doing Power 5 stuff. And, like, you know, I, I really was not in tune with it. But now that I'm covering a lot of FCS recruiting, man, I'm looking at some of the film, looking at some of the stats and the accolades. And I'm like, how does this kid have six offers? And they're from North Alabama, Lindenwood, and UT Martin. And he's he's won four – like I did an article on the kid, four state four straight state titles out of Thompson in Alabama. Was second on the team in tackles and tackles for loss behind five-star Peter Woods. The kid has like eight offers. <laughs> like it makes no sense. To, and, the, and the film is immaculate. I'm like, I, I don't get it. I never will. But, hey, it like you said, those players, you know, are the ones that are probably going to be playing on Sunday somewhere regardless of where they go. But I want to get into you as a coach. What's you know I'm not I want to say what's next because you know you're at Texas Southern and I don't I don't think you know we don't know what's coming in the future but what's your what's your aspirations as a defensive coordinator as an eventually head coach or are you or right now you're just going with the flow you're you're good with where you're at you know I get that question asked a lot because I've been doing this for 14 years now <clears throat> I just was just I was just a defensive coordinator at this uh, Dream Ball game uh, last week in Dallas great event great host. It was good. To me, the higher the level that you go, the the higher position you go, you end up coaching less. So, honestly, would I like to be a defensive coordinator if, if I presented? Yeah, maybe. But that doesn't make me happy all the way. I would probably rather be a head coach. I take more pride in being a head coach and being more of a CEO hiring guys. Um, just getting kids going overall, getting the staff going, coach, you know, coaching the coaches. I, that actually makes me more happy than just being a coordinator. I would rather be in it with the kids, and, and I'd rather just be a DB coach for the rest of my life at the highest level that I can, which my dream is to be in the NFL. I, I did two internships in the NFL, Detroit Lions with Jim Caldwell, and I did with Andy Reid, um, Patrick Mahomes' rookie year, and then I almost got the job with the Chiefs last year. And two of my good buddies, one of them is my mentor, Al Harris, coaches DB with the Cowboys. And another guy named Charlie Burks uh, is actually with the Bengals right now, coaching corners, and he's had a you know great career. So my end goal would be the NFL um, as a position coach. But, you know, being a coordinator doesn't really excite me. Would I be ready for it? Yes. Can I do it? Yes. Can I motivate guys? Yes. I take pride in that. But I, I like being in it with the kids and being in the position groups and, and talking that style of play. But being a head coach probably be a little bit more intriguing to me because, I mean, even the guys that I hired, Coach Greg, who's with me at UIW, went with DJ to te uh, Texas State. I hired him. I'm happy that he's having success. Um, so I enjoy that process probably more 
than actually just coordinating the defense. To be honest with you. Hey, I, I, that's that's amazing to hear because I, I think that a lot of people get confused, especially because, you know, a lot of coaches coming up don't hop on a show like this and, and a lot of people don't get to know them. So they're just like, oh, they don't care about the kids. They're just in it for the the elevation and the money. And so like to hear you say that, I think that shows why you've had a lot of success at all the stops that you have. And, and the final one before we get into, you know, more of just your philosophy and stuff, has there been any offers or if not, like, what are you looking for in a real opportunity? Like what would be some factors you would have to really consider? <clears throat> you know, in this profession, you know, I used to, and this is where I'm going to start dropping some nuggets now and some knowledge, but in this profession, when I was growing up in the profession and trying to be a coach, I, I thought the profession was if you put your head down, you go to work, and, and you have success, that people will come acknowledge that and try to hire you. That ain't the case because I've seen so many instances where situations where, like, you're doing everything right, you're having success, but they're like, oh, you're doing it at the lower level. You can't do it at this high level. There's always a knock. Same thing in recruiting. And then it goes to like, okay, I've seen coaches that have had a terrible career performance-wise in their position or get a bad name or whatever the case may be. They just don't have success everywhere they go. Those guys continue to move up the ladder. So there is no right or wrong way to get the next gig. Um, there's no right or wrong way to do this. So the path to me is very weird because <clears throat> it's really – not even about what you know at all. It's about who you know. Like, who you know gets you in the door, but then they say, like, what you know maintains the door. Yeah, that is true, but, man, it's um, it's a very weird, difficult profession because you just never know if you're doing it right, or and you don't know if you're going to be doing it wrong. And you could be the worst person, and there's coaches in this profession that are bad people, and bad coaches, and those guys continue to climb the ladder the whole time. And I used to be like, well, why are they climbing the ladder and I can't? I just kind of in the last couple of years when I didn't have a job after you kind of word let me go, you know, I, I was just like, I was in a depressed phase. But then I started to realize, like, I'm just going to put my head down. I'm going to work. And if somebody come get me, great. Or they give me an opportunity, great. If they don't, oh, well. So I just learned how to get comfortable within my skin. And that's why I like doing these things. I like giving knowledge. I like talking to people that I don't know. And you're giving information, you're being vulnerable, you're being honest, you're being blunt. A lot of those things I love to do, but a lot of those things hurt me in this profession because I'm blunt, I'm direct, I'll say this, I'll say that. Like, it's not even an indiscriminate way. I just, I think sometimes you, they want you to act a certain way to get to this level. And it's unfair because you have to act this way to get to that level, but you see somebody else acting this way and they get to that level. So you're just like, well, why is he? Why does he get to go and I don't? So I just learned how to really just not care as much anymore. And, and I said it the last couple of weeks, and I've been talking to my staff about it. I'm just going to invest and try to do the best I can for the kids, and just hope somebody sees that and offers me something. If they do, um, but I just learned to stop caring about the right way to do it or the wrong way to do it or whatever. I just, I just think. Um, when you worry about those things, then you're always worrying about what's my next gig, what's my next stop. Um, I'm having success here, but he's not, but he's moving up. Why is that? So I just learned how to be more comfortable within my skin as I got older, um, and I think that probably helps me. But I'll be honest with you, it probably hurts me in this profession 
because certain people want you to be a certain way. And, and I'm just not that guy. Like, I'm not a yes, sir guy. Every time someone talks, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I, I don't want to get a job that way. I think you have to have these dialogues. You got to have conversation or maybe you want to be the devil's advocate. But like, I don't know if you want to do it that way. Let's try it this way or just whatever. Have, you know, open dialogue. So it's probably why I'm not a power five coach or um, I, I think of what happened. But I've always been happy where I've been at. So I, I, I can't complain. No, and I, I think a lot of people who at least hear this are, are going to relate to that because I, I think if, if you're going to take a position, if you're going to, you know, quote, unquote, try to elevate your career, man, you want to be somewhere where you're wanted, where you're comfortable and and where you can be your. Real, at, at, at the end of the day, you can't. Elevating without being able to be yourself, man, just seems like a I've seen that's, it. that's not. Yeah, that's just not what you want to do. But, Coach, I want to talk a little bit about your defensive back room and the relationships within. I see I was going through social media, you know, the pictures with the team after every game, multiple different ones, and they all look like it's like a brotherhood in that room. How do you build that, and what's the steps throughout the offseason to make that room as close and tight-knit as it looks from an outsider's perspective? You know, we had a meeting – with some people here last year. I think the thing you do as a coach, and I actually got asked this question by Tim McCarty, who used to be the head coach at East Central. He was assistant head coach at Kansas State. He asked me when I was a GA, my first question, he was like, it's part of your job to motivate these kids. And I was like, damn right it is. That's that's our job as coaches, to motivate them. So to be honest with you, I think how you get the group to play together or be together is – you have a you have a level and you have a standard of of accountability and you and you coach them hard and what I mean by coach hard yeah they're gonna say I cuss and do all that but I think you just you have a standard about hey this is how things should look this is how things should be if you want to do it this way I can coach you this way you want to do it that way I can coach you that way so really I just call it giving them a toolbox but I think the main thing and through my whole career is when you take those pictures and, and they, and they seem so happy. I think they see the fruits of the labor at the end of it. Like coach has been hard on me since Monday to Friday. And then that we had success on Saturday. That's why the coach is so hard on me. That's why we're having this success. And then on top of that, you give them confidence. And I was actually, I brought it up to the president here at, at TSU. And, and she really, I think understood what I meant is like, you got to install confidence in these kids just like how I have to install confidence in myself when I'm like, I'm good enough to coach here. I am good enough to coach at another place. I'm good enough for this situation. I learned that from my defensive coordinator, Justin Deason. He's big into the Bible. I'm not as big into it as, uh, as he is. I'm trying to get my way. I'm, and I'm trying to learn more as he teaches me. It's just that these kids are good enough. So I coach them hard, but I also install confidence within them, and I think they see it. They don't see it at first. No kid in America sees anything you tell them at first. They really don't. They all get mad. They don't see it. But whenever they do see it, the light bulb hits, and they're like, oh, damn, I got success now. This is what Coach was talking about. So I think that's what ends up happening. Like, I can probably go through all the course of my players that I've ever had. They're going to say to the T, DG is hard. DG sometimes is actually a jerk. He's going to joke with me. He's always going to be blunt with me. He's always going to tell me when I got a good day and I got a bad day. And they don't like it at first. But after the time, through the course of the season, years go by, they understand it, they respect it, and then they're like, 
damn, this is what Coach is talking about. So I think it's just communicating with them. It doesn't matter what type of communication from, just a simple text, simple calling. And, and one main nugget that I would do, and I like it because when I get these messages, sometimes I'll just randomly text a player and be like, man, your time is coming. You're going to have a good game this game. Um, I can't wait to watch you play football. I can't wait to watch you play this weekend. To me, I think the kids love it. They're like, damn, man, Coach, well, you know, he really messes with me, even though he's hard on me Monday through Thursday. Like, he, damn, he was jerking to me all week. But, like, man, he, he really enjoys it. Just like how you would like a text message from a random podcast dude. Like, man, I really love your show. Like, I would love someone to text me randomly and be like, man, I see you doing a great job, BG, man. Keep it up. Like, <clears throat> so to me, those little things like that, man, I make a player believe so much. And it, I told you, it can be the simplest text. Man, I can't wait to see you out there on practice field and play some one-on-one. Oh, shit. I didn't mean to cuss, but I was like, oh, damn. Damn, Coach, wanna watch me, he want to watch me play this uh, practice. So I think a lot of those little nuggets, players love it. And I think I like sending it, but I also like receiving it too. I think everybody's looking for validation. I don't care what Coach says. All these coaches with these big monies, they be, they be the most looking for the validation because they don't sometimes believe in themselves. I, I, you won't, you'd be amazed how many people make so much money but don't believe in themselves. They need to hear. I mean, like, so believe in yourself, have confidence in yourself, but you do sometimes want validation from your coach that, hey, man, he, he's looking forward to watching me this year. Like, Ja'Cory Benjamin, I think he has all-conference talent. He, he played really well as a freshman. I think he can be the next guy. That's an example. Uh, we have another corner, San Antonio, who I recruited at any corner where a guy named Harris. Like, those guys have a chance to have success. I'm going to be hard on them. But I'm also going to show them some love. So I think it's just a, it's a tough love relationship that I think you have to be able to coach them hard and be tough on them, but you have to love them too. You got to do a little bit of both. You can't just be one way. And you coach one of the most difficult positions to play. Listen, I, I played, I played, I played O line. I argue we're a close second just because of all the all the mental side of playing offensive line. But the mentality to play offensive line is a different mentality than to play cornerback, which is a different mentality than playing linebacker. I've talked to the best corners across the FCS. I've talked to Caleb Colt. I've yep. talked to Justin oh. Ford. I've, I've talked to the best defensive backs across the FCS, and they all talk about the different swagger and the confidence and the mentality you have to carry – yourself with playing defensive back how do you instill that in your guys you know I, I do think quarterbacks number one clearly I think number two is DB because yeah. you're always by yourself you're always on an island and sometimes you don't have help I, I think how you install it is just a belief it's it's real simple you're good enough to play the position you're good enough to be by yourself but the coach also has to have confidence too so what I try to tell the kids is like yeah I'm gonna coach you hard but I also know what I'm talking about I also played the position, so I, I understand what they're thinking and feeling, at least. I didn't play in the league, so I don't have that high, high, high-level success, but I have the same mindset as a player as them at that position. So um, I think just the key is, is that just letting them know, like, hey, you can do this. And it might take you a while to get it, but once you get it, it's going to click. But you have to kind of have confidence as you're teaching them. It's just like how players see when you're coaching them and, and they know you don't know your stuff they're going to call you out. That's how the kids operate these days. So I think once you know your stuff and you feel confident presenting it, oh, they'll believe you and they'll run through a brick wall for you. Um, so I just think a lot of those things um, is not as hard as everybody say, but you do have to install that, hey, man, this is what we're going to do. And then you kind of show them proof. Like when I first got to Texas Southern, like, 
they're like, well, who are you? I went through my old previous film, but like, man, this is this is what I'm used to. Like a lot of things you see from my players, they're gonna play fast. I recruited an example would be I recruited Kayla Cup and his family, great family, great kid. Like you're gonna see guys playing fast, not thinking that much, and just being aggressive. Those are things you're gonna see fast, not thinking that much, and being aggressive. And I just install confidence within them that they can do it, even when they get beat or even when they do things bad, they can still do it. Um, and I think that's what's probably the first thing I do when I get to any program. I just install that confidence first. And the the final two questions, Coach. One, what are the room expectations? What are you looking for from the secondary, from your defensive backs going into 2023? Do you guys have a set, you know, list of goals? Do you have any accomplishments you want that defensive back room to have at the end of next season? You know, I've never been a believer. Uh, a lot of guys do, and they have all these sayings. I never, you know, a lot of guys, I call them PowerPoint dudes. I'm not big into that. I, I think the only thing I expect the guys to do on a daily basis is communicate, number one. I don't care what the situation is. Let me know what's going on. Let me know what you see on the field. Let me know what's happening off the field. So, number one would be communication. That's what I want. <clears throat> Probably the second one is I want them to – not overthink any call, any coverage, or any situation. We play a position where you have to react. So that's probably the number two. Like, I just want them to be out there and lose, not think, and let's just go. Don't be scared to be wrong, you know. And then probably the last one to be is whatever you're doing, I want you to try to make a play. So when you teach them that they're not going to be wrong, or don't be scared to be wrong. Don't be scared to get beat is what some guys say is that go be aggressive and go make the play. I would always say to the kids either before or after the game, like, be the reason why we win the game. Don't just be out there playing and we win and you're just like, oh, I did okay. Like, be the reason why we're winning. Make a good, make a huge tackle. Go make a huge interception. Like, everybody wants to be the reason why you win because selfishly that's what people want, especially as a player, especially as a coach. Like you want to go at them like, man, my guys did really well this game. Shit. So that's why we won. My guys played, you know, to the high level. So I think you just want to tell them that, like, be the reason why we win. Don't be the reason why we lose now. That means you're just giving up bombs over Baghdad. You're giving up a lot of things. Like, so – I don't have a lot of those cliches and all that type stuff. We do have a nickname. Our nickname last year was Dead End. A lot of the guys just took that on. And, you know, when you're going to come to secondary, you come into a dead end. You, ain't, you can't go nowhere. Um, so every year we kind of have a theme of, the, like, the nickname or the brand name. Um, but the standards just real simple. Communicate, don't think that much, and play fast. I, I try to keep it as simple as can be. A lot of coaches hate that because they try to give me all these words and big words. I don't even know how to spell half these big words. Um, I'm just not a believer in that. Oh, man, that, that was great. You, you were like, listen, I don't need all the big words. Just just give me the mindset. And the final question, you guys are actually coming in this season. You guys were one game away from going to the SWAC championship last year. So the expectations are higher than they have been in a long time at Texas Southern. What What is the mindset of you and the coaching staff and what you're putting, you know, what's your message to the fans on what the expectations are for the overall program of Texas Southern this season? I think, like I said, man, we, we – should have won the last game of the season and put us in the SWAC championship. Um, we beat all the Louisiana schools last year. We just lost some games that we shouldn't have lost. I think the word is going to be, uh, and I, don't think, I think the head man might have already said it, but the word is going to be finish. Because there were times where we played really well, but we didn't finish. 
so to me, what I'm probably going to tell my guys in the room is, is we need to finish. And whatever you start, you need to finish, which will be a game. Like, you need to start the game really well, but you need to finish the game really well. Like, the last game of the season, we, we started well, but we didn't finish. So I think the model, you know, this year is that we won five and we should have won seven. Now, I think the goal should be coming in winning the West Division and put yourself in a position to where you're going to the SWAC championship. And I think all that's in front of us with a lot of the things that we got, the new locker room, the new weight room, same staff coming back besides maybe one or two guys, same players coming back, another year in the system. So, yeah, the pr- I can't say the pressure's on, but you're right, the expectations have, have, rode, you know, have gone higher, but you also want that. So I'm going to tell the players also when I get off the road recruiting and all that stuff, is that you kind of want this pressure. Last year, no one thought we were going to do anything. Now, you want to kind of have that where, like, I can't say the bull's out on your back, but you want to have people be like, man, I'm about to go see what Texas Southern doing right now. Now, then you have to rise to the occasion. Because if not, then they're going to be like, well, they're just the same old school. So I think we can. Uh, I, I want to say I think I know we can, but we have to prove that we can do it and we got to finish. Man, I, I know expectations are, are sky high. I know a, a lot of people are excited for what you guys are doing. Coach, you gave me an hour of your time. I know National Signing Day is coming up next week, man. So I really, really do appreciate you hopping on the show, man. Let people know where they can follow you on social media, man, and and just keep up with what's going on in, in Coach uh, DG's life. Um, You know, um, I, I'm getting older, but I do know Twitter's a big deal. <laughs> I, I think you can get a lot of news. I think you can get a lot of information. It's very easy to follow me, just TSU, DB Coach. It'll pop right up. Um, you know, I, I put a lot of things out there. We did with the players, the program. I'm big into hip-hop, so you'll see a lot of <laughs> hip-hop lyrics, hip-hop words, you know, just to kind of get me through the day motivating. Um, but I do I do have one, like, uh, uh, how would I word it, like uh, uh, a spin ball for you. Like, ask a random question that you think either people want to know or mm. – questions that you think sometimes coaches are scared to answer Ooh. it can be random you know sometimes a lot of people play secrets and yeah. be any little deal like man maybe i should ask him or maybe i did ask this coach's question he kind of dodged around it like i like a couple of months ago i got asked about the dion deal i know we're past dion now but when he was leaving jackson state i got a question i that that's just kind of how it felt but um maybe something that you think that you're like, damn, coaches ain't really going to say that, or they're not going to think this, or just forget anything. So it's kind of putting you on the spot a little bit, too. Um, I, I, So a lot of the show, you know, I, we got a lot, a lot of SWAC fans that watch the show, and, and I think they're all going to be tuned into this. I'm going to have to edit this and put it up front, you know, so people definitely can see it, because we've been on here for an hour. But who do you think is the biggest threat in the SWAC next season for what you want to do in terms of winning the SWAC? Oof. When expecting that question, uh, <laughs> you know, I will say this about the swag. Before I got to the swag, I didn't think highly of it, and I don't think a lot of people did. But now, being in it for a year, seeing how it operates, seeing how they recruit, man, I'll be honest with you. You can take Florida A and M. You could take PV. You can take us. Really, you can probably take every team in our league and put them in any other league, and I bet you we'll be just as good or damn near better. And I say that because like, I've been in the Southland Conference for years. You know, I was there for four years. So I was – they got Houston Christian. They got Southeastern. And kind of like – to me, if you put us in any of those leagues, any swag, uh, swag school, 
that we could compete and win the championship there. So I think the the misconception is is that these teams can't play at this uh, these teams. I, I, I just disagree with that because I've seen the talent. You know, Dion was in there, had talent, we got talent. And you've even seen kids jump in the portal from the swag, go higher too. So I think everybody really in our league is good enough to play any other league. And, and I can stamp that and be confident saying that. Like, even I know Incarnate World was great last year, but I think there was teams in our league that can make it a good game or maybe win. You just never know. So I just think the brand of football – like, we competed with UTSA up until, like, maybe the last. You know what I mean? Like, we competed versus North Texas. So, I just think a lot of teams, I think all the teams are good enough and they have good enough players to jump in another league and compete. I really do. Yeah, I'm, I'm with that. Um, I know, you know, with the Southland argument, a lot of people got caught. Because I was telling people this year, because, you know, there's the whole FAMU playoff yep. debate and I was like you know this year I don't think this year's southeastern Louisiana team was as good as last year's I agree Fully and agree. if that because that was pro- that was probably going to be the first round matchup if FAMU gets him yep. Montana doesn't probably Montana was probably the last team in FAMU's probably traveling to southeastern I think FAMU beat southeastern e- even though southeastern did beat Idaho that listen they played a hell of a game yep. Zy Alexander is just that guy that was at that game and Zy is a problem yep. and I really do think FAMU matched up really well with Southeastern. Now, you know this, Coach. Once you get past the first round, it's just who you draw. Because, you know, you can get unlucky like Delaware, and if you get like a South Dakota State, there might not be much you can do in that type of matchup. Or like Southeastern last year got sent to James Madison. That's a brutal second-round matchup on the road. And we play FAM um, this season, so I think that's going to be a big game. And I do agree with you because they made it to the playoffs – when we met to the playoffs a couple of years ago, and uh, I know they played Southeast, and I do agree. They, they had that quarterback who was really good. Yeah, Cole Kelly. Yeah, he's really good. And he dices up to him, and he's elite. So uh, it's funny about the playoffs because, you know, I know that uh, th- there's a lot of saying about that. There's a lot of debate about that. Um, but I think they look at your whole course of the year and find out you're still good enough. And that's and it goes back to even with the players and coaches, like, you are good enough. I think the schools in the SWAC are good enough. I think – the players that are league are good enough. Uh, I just think there's a lot of people that are good enough. So instead of saying that they can't do it and this and that, we're good enough. You're good enough to do a podcast or do a Zoom call at a higher place. Or if it was another, um, what's that one school? Uh, bar, was it Barstool? Yeah, Barstool, like, yeah. In your mind, I'm good enough to work at Barstool. That's what I would tell yourself. Like, I'm good enough to work there. Now, I might not have the call and they might not call me right now, but I'm good enough to work there. So I think that's just kind of the message. Um, that I would like to probably leave with is just that you are good enough. And even though when things are saying that you're not and you can't, you are good enough to uh, overcome or do whatever situation you want to at hand, I think. Yeah, I'm just ready. You know, for me, you know, covering the entire FCS, I'm just ready for a SWAC team to get in and win. Someone's got to be the first one. Yeah. And as soon as that first win happens, I think that's when the floodgates – because yep. once you get over the hump, because, you know, when you was looking at what I think it's 0-23 or 24 now, that's tough to overcome. That is just a a really bad statistic. And I just think if you can – if someone can go in there, whether it's fam, whether it's you guys, because yep. I know Southern Grambling can never go because of the Bayou Classic, but if it's Jackson, fam, you guys, Alcorn State, someone just has to go and do it. And if someone can go break break that streak, 
man, I, I really do think that the narrative could change. Because I think when you look at a lot of the F, other FCS schools that, and that's the thing with FCS, it's such a niche market that Incarnate Word fans aren't watching Jackson State. Jackson State fans aren't watching Stanford, vice versa. And so when, you know, with a show like mine being national, I think you have a lot of fans who tune in and they're starting to learn. Like when Lindsey Scott broke out, nobody in the, nobody knew who he was unless you were a Nickel State fan. Right, and we won against him twice, and we did a good job with him. But he, man, we we did a good job against him. But man, he dominated. I do agree. I think, and that's what makes it weird about FCS. Like they do all these FCS All Americans, but you just you just said it. Like no one even watches the games. So how do you know who's good and not good? So yep. that's always a little shaky and a little shady. But you're right. I think how you overcome it is like you say. You just got to get somebody to win. It's the same thing with like now HBCUs are like everyone's loving it on Twitter about how the football is and stuff like that. That's because they just tuned in. So mm-hmm. I with you i think it just takes one to kind of set it like oh okay they're good now i think that's what's going to change the mindset and i'm glad you mentioned the all-american teams that's why we started dropping ours because you know i try to watch all the conferences and i'll cover a lot of different teams but man some of them not calling anyone out they're all my they're all my guys but i'm looking at some guys i'm like he's a first team all-american like well because it goes back to your politics like some guys just happen to be on the front end of like they were already a first team and they were already this like it, it just sometimes it's easy to just pick the guy that everybody's picking instead of just saying, damn, I watched this game a couple times and this guy was pretty good. Like, well, you know, corners and offensive linemen are, are, not, are not even just corners as defensive backs in general and offensive linemen are the ones that frustrate me. Cause me playing offensive line, I look at it from a different perspective and it's like, just cause the, like if it, cause the, the politics, and you know, this, if you're a senior and you were previously all conference, or all American, you get first dibs, Yep. the next year, and they're not going to put a freshman up there. But for me, I don't care what year you are. If this freshman outplayed the senior who's a two-time All-American, that guy should be the All-American, not the senior just because he has the name. And that that was, like, for me, so frustrating. Like, defensive backs like Maxwell Anderson on one all was left off of All-American list and was third team on another. And I was like, the dude was a candidate for the Buck Buchanan for 10 weeks out of the year, but he's not an All-American? Yeah, that's because, yeah, like you said, they just don't they don't watch. They don't know. I think it's just easy to take the easy way out. That's where the politics side comes. Like, if you're if you're on the front end of it, you love it as a player. You love it because you, it don't matter how you perform. You're going to be All-American. So, I do agree. I, I think that's what makes it weird is that no one's really watching. They're just, they're just going off of he might have 100-100 tackles, and the other guy was, I don't know, 105, and they think they all might give it to the 105 guy, but the guy, the hundred tackles is probably a better player. So it's just weird. Yep. I do agree with you. I, it, it, it's it's crazy, man. But um, coach, I appreciate you. Like I said, man, an hour on a show, you know, in the middle of recruiting season, right for national signing day. There's not a lot of coaches that would have done this. So I definitely appreciate you. We're gonna have to get 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 you back on the show during the season, man. I definitely break down some some film, kind of what's going on with Texas Southern throughout the season and catch back up. But guys. Make sure to go follow Coach DG on all social media, man. Keep up with what's happening in Texas Southern. You know you can tune into the channel for all SWAC football covers throughout the season. We're getting to National Signing Day next Tuesday, and it's going to be an exciting day. I'm a recruiting guy, so I cannot wait. But, guys, for Coach DG, for myself, and for the Blue Bloods, we are out for right now.